Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this Gigabit Nation interview with Deb Socia of Next Century Cities was recorded earlier this week in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our Gigabit Nation show today is going to tackle a very important question, which is, what defines success for broadband networks? Now, we have, after you know, three years of doing the show, have had lots of success stories on the show, but when in the bigger discussion of um, broadband, uh, especially public-owned broadband, there's, there are all these questions about uh, is the network successful, and there are the critics that claim that they're never successful, and folks that, that sort of try to put dollars and metrics to uh, the successes that they are having, and this is something of a struggle, and it's something that, that needs to be addressed because the... Um, our ability to keep moving the ball forward with broadband depends very heavily on us being us being those folks in the industry, both on the vendor side and the consultant side and the communities themselves, have to be able to talk about uh, broadband for those communities that haven't moved forward so that those folks understand why is it that we're doing what we're doing. And uh, today's show, I am very happy to be, one, broadcasting from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, they, they're, they're the gig folks, and they've got great press, and there's no doubt in anyone's mind that this is truly a uh, successful broadband uh, network. Um, my guest today uh, is Deb Socia, who has recently been part of a group that started a new organization called Next Century um, cities, and we wanted to, to get them on board because they're actually having an event here in Chattanooga that's bringing together cities from uh, a lot of parts of the country to talk about not just the success issue, but a number of issues related to, again, getting these projects online, getting folks motivated, getting people to understand why this is so important of an adventure. So, Deb, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So, Let's get into uh, the conversation with uh, an overview of what is Next Century Cities. Next Century Cities is a new public interest initiative that's supporting cities that have an interest in bringing fast, reliable, and affordable broadband into their communities. Folks are recognizing the value of that and thinking about how can we do that in our community. And we support folks across that spectrum. Some will create their own, like Chattanooga, one of our cities. Some will partner with Google, like mm -hmm. Kansas City, another of our cities. Some will partner with small, local, independent folks. Some will partner with current incumbents. You know, there's a wide range of ways that people will get broadband to their communities, and we support all cities that mm -hmm. work on in, in any of those areas. So basically, it doesn't matter how they get broadband, it's just as how, that they get the broadband, and that's what your organization is here to, to, to foster. Absolutely true. And you just started this just a few weeks ago, right? Right. Our launch was October 20th, mm -hmm. and so we're not quite a month in. <laughs> and how has it been so far? Fabulous. It's been really interesting. I, I love talking to cities. I love talking to CIOs and and folks from around the country who are sharing their successes and their struggles. And I love connecting people one to another mm -hmm. and you know helping them figure out the dilemmas. Okay. So, in terms of the the mission, right? If someone mm -hmm. was you know a city is looking outside, saying you know should we become a member? What's the 
draw, if you will, to uh, to being a member? Why is this important? I think that the reason a lot of folks are attracted to this as an opportunity is because it's hard to do this work. It's just really hard work to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And folks want to learn from the people who came before them. Right. Uh, why do it all yourself? And, you know, we, we hope to be that clearinghouse for information and research and support so that folks don't, each city doesn't have to do their own research. They can literally uh, learn from one another and right. not have to put out so much effort. It's it's hard to get started. It's hard to maintain. Mm-hmm. It's hard to fund. There are so many challenges. So our goal is to really help eliminate some of those challenges. So it's a digital support group. It really is peer, kind of that. Right? Yeah, using peer <laughs> counseling and, you know, what has yeah. Coming from California, we yeah. can talk about uh you know, yeah. these uh, grand... Yeah. And, and, of course, we really want the gr- good news stories to get out there. Right. right? They are. They, I mean, Chattanooga is a great city. Um, and, you know, the, the stories of all of our cities, Little Am in Idaho, mm-hmm. right, uh, Sandy, Oregon, these are cool cities doing cool things. Right. And we'd like to get all of their stories out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've, I went through your member list and got an idea of uh, the kinds of cities there. And it is a pretty across-the-board type of mm-hmm. mix of cities. Uh, oh, by the way, does this include, I don't know, incorporated, unincorporated, townships? I mean, just any designation as a city ju- or a municipal jurisdiction yeah, Any municipality, you? right. Okay. So we have some counties and some cities and some... Uh, small areas that are connecting mm-hmm. uh, and and working on becoming members. And we're really welcoming to anyone who is a municipality. And I think our smallest uh, group is about 3,000 people mm-hmm. live in that area. And so far, maybe there'll be another one that's smaller. Right. But uh, So they range from that all the way to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got that wide mix. It's really kind of interesting. So now, are there any special dues for participating? Is there a secret handshake you need to know? <laughs> no. <laughs> actually, you know, it's we actually worked hard to make it simple for cities. They have enough complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make this an easy entry point. And so on our site, there's a list of our six principles. Mm-hmm. And if a city agrees to those principles and their municipality would like to become a member, they just send me in writing, we agree to the principles, and would like to become a member. Mm-hmm. There is no fee at this time. Okay. So now what are the principles? So I'll be happy to tell you what they are. <laughs> uh, high-speed Internet is necessary infrastructure. Okay. The Internet is nonpartisan. Communities must enjoy self-determination. Mm-hmm. High-speed Internet is a community-wide endeavor. Right. Meaningful competition drives progress, and collaboration benefits all. Okay. So, you know, pretty simple statements um, that we believe very strongly to be true, and our cities agree, mm-hmm. and um, they become members. Awesome. So now, um, what's the current, well, tomorrow, uh, the, the current event uh, here in Chattanooga? What's that going to be? It's um, it's called Envisioning a gigabit future, mm-hmm. and it is a field hearing where we're bringing together folks from around the country who can talk about what it's meant to have a gigabit, how mm-hmm. it has impacted their communities, and then also the struggles they may have had to get to that point. Okay. Right? What are the things that make it hard, and uh, how can we make it, it a smoother process for a city to figure this out? Okay. And I noticed from the uh, the agenda that you have covered uh, a number of folks who have success stories to tell, mm-hmm. and 
there will definitely be a lot of uh, learning associated with um, this right. particular event. Are you planning to do more of these? Very likely. Okay. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. The, you know, the other piece that we hear a lot from our communities is they'd like to do more regional stuff. Right. So, you know, if you uh, live in an area and there are four or five towns around you that want to do something similar, it's mm -hmm. kind of nice to bring those folks together and do something regional. So we'll be doing some of that, too. Right, okay. Very good. I'm, and, that's, and so now that you know, I brought the, the subject of success up, um, this, is a, this is a sticking issue with myself and probably a lot of other folks, and in part because the f people who are most critical of the municipal-owned option mm -hmm. will often say that these projects are never successful. Right, never is a big word, but that's what they use. I mean, they basically try to paint this as a uh, guaranteed loser of a situation. Um, is this because they have defined the parameters of what success is, or because they, you know, exaggerate when you really look to get into it that you know many of these projects are not successful? Um, I have contended that um, you know a lot of this has to do with the. Uh, critics who have been allowed to dominate the conversation and in so doing have defined what is success. And they define success on terms that are the antithesis of what communities deem as success. Mm -hmm. So let's start with sort of dissecting that issue of, you know, are we being fed a bill of goods about what exactly defines success for these projects? And I would say first, one of the interesting things to me is as I talk to folks, they don't really want to build a network. They right. wish that it already existed or that somebody would come in and help solve this problem, usually when somebody's moving in this direction, because they don't feel they have other alternatives. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I would agree that I think a lot of people define success for these projects as being financial. Mm -hmm. uh, yet when we work in cities, as I worked in Boston, we define success a little differently because we have an interest in the public well-being, mm -hmm. in quality of life, in economic development. There are so many ways in which having gig access can change the way your city operates mm -hmm. that go beyond the finances, right? Just it's it's uh, more important to cities to have, uh, you want everything to work, of course. You want it to work out financially. And for some of our cities, it's quite successful. But the real goal when you work in a city is to make sure that your citizenry has a good living experience. Mm -hmm. They can find a job. They have good education. You know, the transportation works well. Healthcare is available. Those are the things that gig access can improve upon that really have great value to cities. Mm -hmm. So how do we get in control of the narrative that gets out there sort of that defines what the successes are? Because I think the, the challenge for any city is that it's easy for the critic a critic to say all these network projects fail. You mm -hmm. know, they're never successful. Mm -hmm. And then as a city, you know, as a community that's trying to move this project forward, you have a sense that there are other communities out there that are successful, but you've got this, you know, this person or this group of folks saying these are never successful. How mm -hmm. how does the city both understand the issue but then sort of take charge of the discussion? Right. I, I think part of it is just 
getting good at telling our stories. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Chattanooga is particularly good at that. Right. Um, they talk about the way their library has totally been restructured and how they have gig access and 3D printers and people are in there doing really cool stuff. And uh, as opposed to just consuming information, they're now creating things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love their story. That's a great story. And there are stories like that all across the country. We just really need to tell that story better. Mm-hmm. One of the things uh, I keyed on a word you used, um, that that library that they are creating uh, things. When I wrote my first book on uh, municipal uh, networks back in 05, we were talking about the Philadelphia project and how uh, specifically the, the planning of that project. And one of the folks who had led several of the focus groups uh, in Philadelphia said was, um, you've got to attack these things from a creation orientation, not a problem solving. Because mm-hmm. when you get a bunch of people in and they're complaining about a problem, there's a lot of negative energy and there's a lot of focus on something that needs to be removed here and now. And, it, and when you have city meetings and town halls and so forth and everyone's uh, bringing up that they hate, mm-hmm. it's a very closed focus, right? Because if you if you come in with a creation orientation, then what you talk about is what can be created with mm-hmm. these networks. Mm-hmm. And once you, you change the tenor of the discussion to we're going to talk about what's created, mm-hmm. then everyone can get on board with that because they can see possibilities and they can see their own participation and it changes the, the, the whole dynamic of the exercise. Right. Should we who are talking about success of these networks start to structure our stories from the perspective of creating? What is it that we have created with our networks? I think that makes a lot of sense. I also, you know, I also think that telling the individual stories both benefits that, but it benefits the city in so many other ways. Mm -hmm. Being able to get a positive story out about your little town that people read and become engaged, and then they go and do something similar. Mm -hmm. These are new networks. A gigabit is a huge amount of speed compared to what most cities have. What's going on here that couldn't go on if it it didn't exist? And how do we help other cities see that great benefit Mm -hmm. uh, to having a gig access, whether you build it yourself or not, right? What's the benefit that you get? What do you derive from that that could then be replicated across the country? Right. Uh, I think we are at a significant uh, deficit when we don't consider future, when we don't Mm -hmm. consider creating, and when we don't consider, um, when we don't stop to think that what we imagine could happen with this is all there is. Mm -hmm. Because we can't even imagine what's going to happen 10 years from now. Exactly. You you talk about 2005. Would you have ever thought what's going on today (laughs) would be happening today, right? Certainly I didn't. I've been in this game for a long time, and and every year I'm surprised and excited by what's new and what's possible. And so when folks say you don't really need a gig access, yeah, well, maybe, maybe in the scheme of things, a gig access is not so helpful mm-hmm. in, in certain aspects of the work yet, but who knows what tomorrow's going to bring? Exactly. It's so a um, uh, no, 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 that's quite all right. So um, as we kind of come into this uh, this event here in, in Chattanooga, what are some of the creation-oriented stories do you think that are, that are going to come out of this session? Well, certainly, you know, when you think about 
what has happened here in Chattanooga, there are many examples. I think about the incredible entrepreneurial energy in this space. Mm-hmm. And that's something that came about because of the access. Right. It, it didn't exist before. The way the library works differently, the way that the electricity now is is managed by the smart grid and, and power is not out very long here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a quick way to remedy it. And the, the ways that in other cities, uh, transportation is impacted, mm-hmm. right? You can use these great networks to manage transportation so much better. Um, the ways that the networks are benefiting healthcare. You know, there was a great story at our launch from uh, Mayor Boudreaux from Washington, Mayor Boudreau from Washington, and she talked about her son and how he um, had broken his foot, mm-hmm. and that the the process of having those X-rays transferred. To, from one hospital to another hospital to an x-ray person to, to the, doc, the radiologist to the surgeon to the, and how that was all done in a matter of minutes versus having to take those x-rays from place to place because they take huge bandwidth and there are HIPAA issues, right? Mm-hmm. But because they have this great network there, it could happen in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. Things like that are great stories. <laughs> you know, you got to love that. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the kinds of things that we hope will um, will come out tomorrow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think about, we have a great blog on our site, nextcenturycities.org, from Ted Smith in Louisville. Right. And he talks about how um, how it impacts so many of the things that they do because they can use real-time data. Mm-hmm. And the one that he talks about is how in transportation, uh, typically cities would hire a company to come in with the street tubes, mm-hmm. and they would check traffic based on that one day, maybe that 24-hour period of data collection, and that's what they have for the next year. Whereas if you buy into the Google travel, the Google traffic, mm-hmm. you actually have real-time data, and it's cheaper, by the way, but you have real-time data every second. Right. And how that can impact the way you do business as government. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? So that, that was you, even a possibility. Right. I, and so I, I think we need to to allow ourselves to imagine that what's not possible today could be possible tomorrow, um, and we should be ready for this. I want to break down what are considered the four categories of benefits, if you will. Uh-huh. And uh, we'll go, you know, list them, but we'll go through them one by one. Okay. But I want to talk about how you define success in each of those four categories. Because I want the audience from the show today to come away with an idea or something that they can hang their hat on, at least of this is what success might look like, right? So now the four areas that that are the main categories of success, if you will, there's improvement of government operations. There is um, economic development, which is more times tied into business retention or bringing in new business, but we you know know that economic development can cover a number of things, but we'll leave it at that. Um, medical and healthcare delivery improvements. And then the, the fourth one is improving or transforming how education is done. Now, a lot of the focus is on K through 12, but it can also include uh, education at the, at the college and community college level, mm-hmm. right? So, 
well, I guess I probably should ask, you know, from your experience, are those the, the primary categories? That, you know, if you take every city and they start talking about the things that they're successful in, that they typically fall into one of these four Categories. I think they could easily be connected to those categories, yes. Okay. So let's start with improving government operations. What mm-hmm. kinds of things, from what you've seen, have city City said, okay, we are successful because we have been able to do this in this area of government I, I think just, you know, e-government in general, being mm-hmm. able to manage those services online. Mm-hmm. So there's this great story from Boston about how they finally got all the the city workers connected mm-hmm. uh, via their smartphones. Mm-hmm. And so somebody uh, from one of the neighborhoods contacted the, the main office and said, I need a recycling sticker. Just so happened that information gets beamed to a guy who happens to be sitting around the corner from her house. And he drives up within 10 minutes of the call and hands her the sticker. Mm, and the first mm-hmm. thing she said is, am I on candid camera? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we should be able to be more efficient as mm-hmm. government. And granted, that's an extreme case. But those kinds of things, uh, we ought to be looking at how do we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just the ways in which we can save money, like the example with transportation. Um, Boston has another one. I mean, I work there, so I've got stories from there. But uh another app called Speedbump. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's this really cool app you can download on your phone. And as you drive around through the city, it it uses the accelerometer in okay. your phone mm-hmm. to tell when you're going over bumps. Oh, wow. So it was able to identify where the potholes were. And uh, one of the things they discovered that they never knew was that one of the biggest problems was the castings had raised from the manhole covers, right, uh-huh. all those different things, and that that created a problem. And they came up with a really creative solution and, you know, problem solved, a problem they didn't even realize they had but Mm -hmm. then could get identified. That information is available real time and they're evaluating it and using it and and making things happen. Those kinds of instant access are helpful. I I think me personally, as somebody who spent a lot of time working with people in cities, Mm I'm really excited about participatory democracy. Okay. So getting more folks having a voice mm-hmm. in decisions that get made at the city level. So, you know, what, what is this part going to look like? Well, it's, there are some great apps and opportunities out there for us to be a part of designing such things. And I love that idea of getting more city input. If they're putting a park next to where I live, I'd like to have some input about what that park looks like. Mm-hmm. How else do you do that in city government? It's pretty hard to do. Right. You hold community meetings and a few people come, or maybe you even get a good number of people to come, but you're never going to get as much information as if you make it right. an option online, which, of course, means we need to do a much better job with equity around ensuring everybody has access. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. There was... Um uh, a mayor, not the current mayor of Philadelphia, but the, his predecessor, who was the one who drove uh, their efforts to try to get a municipal wireless network all across Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And Mayor Street at that time, his big uh, catchphrase was, more people online than in line. Right. And that seemed to sum up, from the perspective of community engagement, that seemed to sum up the value proposition mm-hmm. for broadband. And they weren't even talking about a gigabit or even fiber. I mean, they were talking right. about wireless Wi-Fi and so forth. Um, I mean, just paying your parking tickets, getting your, your dog license, all of those things 
save foot traffic in the in mm-hmm. city hall and improve efficiency and effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting your permits online so folks aren't standing in line down, you know, at city hall. All of that is is helpful to a city. Right. Um, and can't happen without good networks. Right. Exactly. And I think that um, it's the kind of thing. You know, I think the, the, when you looked at the issue, right, so the complex issue of, of broadband in Philadelphia was that you could track broadband adoption based on the economics of a particular neighborhood. So basically mm-hmm. wherever there were, you know, the wealthier neighborhoods, they had high uh, broadband adoption rates. And in the poor, lower-income parts of the city, they had abysmal mm-hmm. rates, right? And so that was a, a, a big driver. It was a right. closed digital divide. But the... The phrase, you know, more people um, online rather than in line resonated right. very well. And I, I would throw that out or sort of say, well, you know, is it just marketing or does that kind of a, you know, how do you reduce the message and make it personal have a lot to do with how you promote the success or the success that the network is trying to achieve. Well, you know uh, from my previous job that I care deeply <laughs> about digital equity. Yes, so, you do. Having yes, you run do. Tech Goes Home in Boston for mm-hmm. years, and um, what I learned, and I, I learned a lot, was that uh, what one thing we already know, which is that folks from lower-income families, people who are disabled, seniors, people who don't speak English, they're the ones most likely not to be online. Mm-hmm. And that the solution is not to just put in a network, to be honest. Right. It's a network, it's access, and it's training about why this uh, this piece of equipment and this access will make a difference in my life. Mm-hmm. How does it change the way I live? And in fact, um, Chattanooga is running its own Tech Goes Home program mm-hmm. beginning this week. So um, thinking about that um, I think is important. There was a great article this morning that said uh, for most of our, you know, around the country, the the rate of adoption is pretty high, mm-hmm. except in those states with low average yearly income. Mm-hmm. And that's true even in the higher, the higher um, adoption states. Those folks who earn under $25,000 as their annual household income, only about 57% of them are online. Um, and I think it's mostly because we haven't done a great job of explaining how it matters in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about everything you do online that allows you not to have to go to City Hall or uh, makes it easier for you to manage a job because you can talk to the kid's teacher via email at night mm-hmm. and you know all the ways that it impacts our lives, uh, that's what we need to help folks understand. Mm-hmm. And by the way, what was your role in Boston. I kind of uh, got us right into the topic here, but right. I probably, you know, because this is an area of expertise that you that you have. Right. Let's give the audience an idea of what you're... Sure. I ran a project called Tech Goes Home. Mm-hmm. It's still going in, in Boston, mm-hmm. and it provided a piece of hardware, 15 hours of relevance training about how having technology and being online can change the way you live, le- learn, work, and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, we help them sign up for low-cost Internet plans. So okay. inter- Comcast Internet Essentials, Mobile Beacon has a great uh, 4G option. Uh, there aren't tons of them out there, but there are some that mm-hmm. are $10 a month. And what we helped folks understand was how they could save more than the $10 it cost them right. by using this online resource. And so people saw the value proposition. 
And a year afterward, we call folks back. You know, we did a lot of surveying. Uh, 90, over 90% of our folks are online mm-hmm. a year later compared to that 57% um, with that same demographic. So, mm-hmm. you know, we definitely had impact um, and people loved it. I mean, it was really very valuable. Right. And so I can see that your perspective and that experience does help shape a lot of your drive with uh, Next Century Cities and, mm-hmm. and sort of helping it move it move itself forward and so forth. Now, you mentioned uh, one of the values in this area of government and how it improves or impacts the government is it increases the participation. Mm-hmm. And someone made the remark uh, in an interview I was doing for um, a write-up on the uh, referendums that were passed in in uh, Colorado. So there were mm-hmm. basically eight communities, uh, some of them cities, some of them towns. They represented heavily Republican districts, heavily uh, Democratic districts, but they had 85% um, uh, support in a number of those communities, and the worst they had was 70%. So basically all of those referendum ballots uh, which are a difficult thing to get people to care about and show up for and, and to actually win, right. um, they were showing 70 to 85 percent um, uh, people in favor. And someone made the comment that that's kind of a metaphor for the whys of broadband because mm-hmm. to get that level of support for any kind of referendum measure is really, really difficult. Right. I mean, they they all they almost all have thresholds of sixty uh, percent or two thirds or whatever in order for them to pass, right. right? Because it's so hard to get to that point, right? right? They want they don't want to make it too easy, and yet here was broadband all of a sudden bringing out this huge amount of support, but it also gave uh, a view into the referendum process, mm-hmm. and could it be that bringing in these networks? Will change the 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 participation um, dynamic right. in cities. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I was pretty excited to see those all pass. I thought that was pretty impressive. I was pleased. Um, some of our cities are in Colorado, and they've mm-hmm. shared the stories of how difficult it was to get through this process. So it's nice to see a large number. Um, and I think in the end, folks. Uh, as we state as one of our principles, it is a not, not a partisan issue. This right. is not a partisan issue. And I think people are uh, are who live in cities and work in cities really get that mm-hmm. because it impacts them every day. Right. Uh, and it changes their quality of life. And so I think that's where, why they were so successful. And, of course, it's helpful that there were a couple of Colorado towns that went before them mm-hmm. and had similar success and could show the the successful outcomes from having done so. Right. And then shortly after um, the the ballot, like the next day practically, uh, Comcast announced it's going to double its speeds at no extra charge. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I wrote about that uh, just this, this weekend. And it was interesting. Someone said, well, you, you, you know, you're, you're talking about Comcast and how they're, they're, you know, having a benefit from this. And the person kind of missed the point, which is um, they didn't actually, none of these cities built a network. They basically passed a ballot that says we're going to build these, or they're going to have the authority 
to pursue building these networks, then all of a sudden the company that has always said, oh, what you get is what you get, yeah. right? And they've been very resistant to any kind of, you know, improve their speech. Who needs more speed? I mean, that's always the incumbent argument. And within 24, 48 hours, they basically make this, this huge announcement, mm-hmm. you know, this to me seems to be another level of success, right? You're that that you haven't even built the network yet, it's impacting competitive rates and on, at some point probably quality of service. Right. Is well, that uh, one of our one of our uh, principles? Is um, you know that uh, competition, meaningful competition, drives progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do believe that that's true. And so having um, opportunities for folks to make a choice is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody gets better right. <laughs> when, you, when you're making a choice. And I think, um, yeah, I think that definitely has had some impact. Right. And I think that should be then one of the criteria for success. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the improvement of government operations. You have the uh, improving of the ability to deliver or to get services from the government. And then you tack on at the end, you know, greater participation, but also the ability to influence the competition equation, right? Mm -hmm. I think everyone who talks about, you know, what's wrong with broadband, how can we get slow broadband for such a high price is because of the lack of competition. Mm -hmm. And so these networks can become a contributor to uh, that change, and that change defines the success of the network. You know, if I build a network and all of a sudden 80% of my constituents get better, faster service, then that network is a success. Right. Anytime that we are doing a better job of delivering high-speed, affordable, reliable Internet, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. However that comes about, it's a good thing. Right. So now let's talk about economic development. how, How do you see cities defining success in that realm? No, it's it's interesting because there are lots of ways, in my opinion. So, you know, Lafayette recently talked about bringing uh, 1,100 new jobs to their community with a total new wages of $65 million. Mm-hmm. That's enormous because it doesn't just impact that 1,100 people, mm-hmm. right? It probably brings some people from outside the community into the community, so it grows the community. It, it impacts the tax base, but it also creates more opportunities for service jobs. Mm -hmm. You're going to have more people with salons and restaurants and, you know, you're going to have all this other impact Mm -hmm. that comes from doing that. I think we we sometimes neglect to see all those other ways in which this change brings things about. The other thing I'd say is that, um, you know, when you think about the opportunities to be an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. you know they're coming to the cities that got a gig. Right? Right. You just know it. Um, the opportunity to telecommute, which is huge. So you look at some of the communities we support, and they have an incredible quality of life. But if you don't have a gig, folks aren't going to live there because they can't work from home. Right. And so you want the quality of life, but you've got to be able to make a living. And so figuring out how to combine those two things mm-hmm. puts a city in really good space. Right. Because it brings – and, you know, there's two other things that I hadn't thought of that I think are interesting. One is that – uh, communities have told me one of the reasons they really wanted a good network is because they wanted their kids to come back home after college. Right. So they go to college and they don't come back because they can't get good speeds. They wanted their kids to come home. Mm-hmm. That's a quality of life issue we want to support. And then the other one that I 
learned from our cities is how it has impacted the price of real estate. Mm-hmm. That it has improved the price of real estate. So, you know, in Lafayette, uh, the price of a lot with gig access is worth $5,000 more than a lot without. Mm-hmm. That's big, right? There's an impact here. Right. That And, you know, if you live just outside of Chattanooga mm-hmm. and you're, you're still, you know, maybe four to ten megs, uh, you're moving to the city if you need to get, <laughs> right? How does that impact it? I think it impacts everything mm-hmm. economically. And I, and I don't see how we can um, not see that as part of it. I think it's honestly one of the big reasons we're seeing so many more cities getting engaged here. Mm-hmm. Because they're seeing what's happening in these cities, what's mm-hmm. happening in Wilson and Lafayette and Chattanooga and Santa Monica and all across the country. Um, folks are, are bringing new jobs. Uh, and uh, entities that really need that level of uh, of service. Mm-hmm. So you know, like the film industry, right? right? Uh, healthcare, they they have to have that kind of speed to be successful. And so, you know, they're they're building up these great um, economic benefits to their cities when they open up the opportunity for high speed broadband. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No, that's good. That makes a lot of sense. And it also comes back to the question that um, uh, folks will bring up, right? The the critics tend to be um, uh, folks that are coming at this, what I call from from a Wall Street perspective, right? They are, you know, free market believers. They, you know, believe that investments should be driven by the the government. They believe in a certain, you know. I would call it structured view of of dollars and cents when we start talking about return on investment. Mm-hmm. But in things we talked about as far as how these are determined to be successful in the uh, in the area of government and improving government operations and also in economic development, half of these are not quantitative uh, proofs of success. They are basically intangibles. And so what you're saying is. We're going to, you know, a community is looking at a multi-million dollar investment in many cases. You know, it may be $2 million, it may be $50 million, but you're basically saying they're going to make a multi-million dollar um, decision when a lot of the evidence for success is intangible, warm and fuzzies. Yeah. How does that get reconciled? Because, uh, you know... I think some of it can be quantified. <laughs> I mean, I think that things like saying, you know, that the real estate prices have gone up, that's quantifiable. Right, and that's more recent than um, it is, but it is potent. It's a potent uh, yep. number. And and at some point, we'll get to a place where e-government is so successful that we'll be able to quantify it in terms of foot traffic, and mm-hmm. all of that is eventually quantifiable. Um, but I, I just think, as a city, there are lots of things that cannot be quantified that we as government care about. Right. Right. And so we uh, who serve citizens need to think about other things, like is there a great place for my child to play? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is my school safe? I mean, all of the things that we want to um, have as families, we, we need our leaders to be thinking about those intangibles. Mm-hmm. And we need to be thinking about can we bring them about, and if we can, how. Right. And I, I'd argue that a lot of these intangibles are actually well supported by having a fast, reliable, affordable Internet. Mm-hmm. Not that. I, you know, I'm truly a believer. And I, I know, know that, you, uh, you know, it's interesting because the as we go from year to year, you know, I started in this back in 2005, 
you know, as we go year to year, it, it seems like it's almost easier every year to mm-hmm. prove or, or, or to make the intangibles count in the right. discussion, right? Because five years ago, you know, if you said that basically, well, this is going to improve the quality of life, everyone's like, what? How? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How and how much, you know, right. because we're talking about this major expenditure. But I think that as we now get into 2014, the intangibles actually are part of the story now more and more. And, and we need to tell the story. You know, I, I was watching a show on television about this young kid who came up with this idea of having drones deliver um, a defibrillator to somebody who was having a heart attack. Yes, I, I saw so it. It'd be faster that. than the uh, ambulance. Than the ambulance. To get there. And you got to have a good network for that. Right. Because they're in real time talking them through this process from the ambulance. Right, right. right. I mean, how cool is that? Who could have thought of that idea? And, and we're not going to develop those really cool ideas if we don't have the networks that would support them. Right. So it's kind of a chicken and egg thing for right. some folks. I, I'd argue that we aren't going to get to those great creation opportunities if we don't have those networks that help support that creationism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree. Um, let's talk about healthcare care uh, for a second sure. and medical care delivery. Mm-hmm. What are some of the metrics for success for broadband impacting those, uh, those areas? I, I think part of it is the speed with which we can provide quality care, mm-hmm. right, which now could be very slow based on the transmission of x-rays and files and so forth, and especially with the HIPAA laws that really require a secure network. Um, But there's also this opportunity for much better communication. So, you know, if I go to the doctor, I can go through a security portal and communicate back and forth with that doctor afterward. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you got to have decent networks for all these things to work well. Um, And and I think in general, the idea that uh, we can provide a much better system of health care to folks in rural communities mm-hmm. where they might not be able to get to a specialist, but mm-hmm. they could certainly get online with right. a specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that opportunity to me is really exciting because mm-hmm. we can sincerely impact a person's health by ensuring that they have access to quality health care, mm-hmm. no matter where you live. Right. So I, I think there's so much we can do in health care. I, I don't think we've touched the surface of it. You know. That is a common uh, phrase that I hear when people talk about telemedicine, telehealth, is that the um, what we have seen, as good as it is, is a really small uh, amount of the potential <laughs> because what's holding everything back is the quality of networks. Mm-hmm. Is that you know because the the stuff that you can do with telemedicine is on one hand simple. You know you can you, if you explain to someone this will allow you to see a physician without having to travel right. is an easy concept to, uh, to to communicate. However, in practice, it is a bear to execute. Because you've got to have right. so much bandwidth to support a a connection of that uh, that uh, speed yeah, limit. Low latency, high speed. It's exactly, got, there and are then, a lot of needs and there. the people that you need to reach the most present a build out challenge right. because they're so far away and they're isolated and this and that. So that um, when you, when you look at it, look at it all together, it's like the potential for. Um, these advancements in telemedicine and telehealth are fairly simple, straightforward things to explain, 
but the technology that has to make it all happen right. is going to be a challenge. Right. But if you if you if you surmount the challenge, mm-hmm. then you can put a big old you know S for success in your column right. because. Well, and I think it's like the the other things we discussed. Um, the value of it will be seen better when we have more built out, mm-hmm. right? So Mount Vernon, Washington, as I mentioned before, has this great um, opportunity to provide a gig to 10 gigs to higher speeds mm-hmm. to folks along a secure network. It's really impacting healthcare, and who knows what they're going to create as right. a result that could one day impact our health, mm-hmm. you know, and improve our health. So I, I think healthcare is a... a a huge unknown in, in terms of what it's going to look like in five years, but I'm pretty excited to see what it's going to look like. <laughs> I've enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of fun about this work is seeing these incredibly interesting things people are figuring out. Mm-hmm. And there's also a sense that um, if you can get the community wired for health, mm-hmm that you actually in addition to have a in in addition to having a quality of life impact you also have an economic impact mm-hmm. because as they've discovered in Danville and in Loma Linda is that if you have this totally you know righteously awesome uh health care delivery system that's driven by having all of these hospitals and all of these doctors all linked, right, right, interconnected into this, you know, gigabit network, that that's a marketable, you know, it no longer becomes just a simple quality of life thing you put on a brochure. That's a reason, like, that's a serious reason for bringing your company to town right. is that you know that all of your um, uh, workers are going to be exposed to this technology-driven healthcare. Right. It's amazing. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's next there. Um, and I, and I, you know, I think about that drone idea mm-hmm. and, and how significant impact that could have. And that's one young man thinking creatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have lots of brilliant minds thinking creatively, uh, coming up with great ideas for this. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, so that's going to make a lot of. Uh, I think it's going to make a lot of sense. And um, now, in some respects, you know, again, looking at at things that you can quant or that you can put in the success category. It's the ability to um, communicate um, has a more significant healthcare advantage. Right? So when we talk about telehealth and telemedicine, delivering medical services is one thing. But also there is a um, if you have all of your senior citizens connected, just the fact that they can communicate either with loved ones or with their mm-hmm. doctor or what have you has a health impact. Oh, absolutely. So it's interesting, we you know, running Tech Goes Home, we worked with a lot of seniors in mm-hmm. Boston and uh you know, we call back later and say, How has you know, has this had an impact mm-hmm. on how you live your life? And one gentleman said to us, Impacted my life. You gave me back my life. I had no reason to get out of bed. I had nobody to talk to. He said, now I jump out of bed and I hop online and I meet my <laughs> friends and I, I'm having so much fun and we, we arrange to meet with one another, you know, across the city. And he said, I have a life again. And I, I thought, how incredible. I mean, not everybody's going to have that level of impact, but, mm-hmm. but, but, 
you, when you but think we're about, talking about oh, that yeah. level of impact. I got a grandbaby <laughs> who lives pretty far away. Mm-hmm. I can see him every single day. Right. Because I have a decent network and I can Skype. Right. So the change in a person's uh, well-being is definitely impacted by those kinds of things. Right. You know? Our oldest participant in Boston was in her 90s. Wow. Um, and she had never touched a computer before. And she's now Skyping with her great-granddaughter, Mm-hmm. who lives about a 1,000 miles away mm-hmm. and uh, is in heaven because she had never <laughs> met her and wasn't going to be traveling. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the the idea that you can stay connected to loved ones, which uh, there's some real research about how that impacts health outcomes mm-hmm. um, and, and even just communicating. So there, there's some great research out there about uh, very low-income women with breast cancer and how communicating via a blog or or online has had an impact on results. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we're just touching the surface of those kinds Once of Once again, we're at, the, right. we're at this cusp and we don't realize how much more we can do. Yeah, and I think, pretty exciting. And I think then if you look at that, uh, you know, that concept of, you know, we're just touching the surface gives... Uh, communities greater leverage when it comes time to deal with things like bond issues or loans or Mm -hmm. whatever kinds of, you know, gathering of money that they do is that the the mountain of potential, though it's hard to quantify, and like I said, Wall Street bankers don't deal with a lot of that stuff to a certain extent, but it it seems like that should be the driver uh, in, in a number of these discussions is that there is a vast um, mountain of benefits in mm-hmm. different areas that we don't know, and you have to kind of take it at, at faith value right. that we need to be investing in that. Right. That will and be a success. Both both uh, sort of taking it by faith, but also looking at the successes of the cities that have done this work and imagining that that's only the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you look to these cities that have really changed their economic circumstance and become a much much more vibrant, interesting places to live, and are attracting all these jobs. Um, that's a great benefit all by itself, but it will grow. Mm-hmm. You know, as more cities have great access, more opportunities will arise. Right. At least that's my belief. Mm-hmm. So we got about uh, ten minutes. Let's talk about the education. That's the, the sort of the fourth right. category of benefit. What are you seeing that are the uh, success stories in, in education? Well, so I'm not sure if you know this, but I actually ran one of the first one-to-one laptop schools. I was a principal oh, did you know? prior to Tech Goes Home, and I ran one of the first urban one-to-one schools in the country. Okay, so we're in your space. We're, we're in, in my space. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first of all, you know, I just think it's the great equalizer, the opportunity available through technology to Skype with famous authors, to connect with other children around the world mm-hmm. uh, to uh, have at your fingertips learning opportunities that are about things that are happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get that history book, and it's already old when you get it. Yep. Right. Very true. Uh, changing the way we're learning and the things we're learning about and the way we're communicating is what's happening in education mm-hmm. when it's done well. And I, I think of my son, who's uh, an adult now, but when he was young, uh, very good with languages, took every language he could, and got to Latin 4, and guess what? There was no Latin 5. Oh, my. That doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen now. Mm-hmm. When you have a decent network, you can do blended learning or online learning or have those great opportunities for virtual learning, and that that changes the whole experience. 
for kids and particularly kids in rural schools. Once again, we got to connect them. Mm-hmm. But in, if you're in a small school with maybe a hundred kids, the the opportunities will be limited. Having right, having access to a Latin course when you're in uh, in that small of an environment and rural is unheard of. It, and and you know all the AP classes that that folks teach, it's hard to run an AP class. Every AP class one of your students might be interested in. Mm-hmm. But this opens up every door. Right. Right. It also allows, I think, other kinds of creative learning. Mm-hmm. So our kids get interested in something, they can go home and learn more about it. Right. They're no longer learning no longer needs to happen just within the walls of the school. Right. It has changed the way that we think and it's changed the way we've communicated and collaborated and it's really helped children um, step outside of of that traditional schoolhouse and learn about what interests them, what excites them, mm-hmm. and and it changes the way kids think about education in general. Mm-hmm. The the opportunity to be on Twitter or any other social network where where educational opportunities are abound mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, to to tweet with somebody from uh, another country about. Uh, a similar issue that you face is kind right. of neat. So, because I know at one point um, when they were on, the, when some folks from Kansas City were on the show, we talked about changing the face of educational collaboration. Where you know the typical study group as a concept is you get ten kids in a school in a class. Uh, that, uh, you know, figure out some time after school when they're going to meet or whatever, and they sit around a table and, you know, more work than goofing off happens. Mm -hmm. But basically, that's the dimension of of collaboration, right? That's that's the extent of it. But all of a sudden now, you know, Kansas City looks at this equation and says, well, you know, now you can have kids collaborate across town or across the state Mm-hmm. Or in the fantastic, you know, endpoint around the globe, right? right? Because if you're gonna if you're gonna teach a class in, you know, Scottish literature or you know Chinese art or whatever, that the kids are no longer tied to the dynamic of the classroom, the work, the study group, and the library, right. which are like your primary ways of gathering right. information. Now. They can collaborate across wherever there is a uh, internet high speed connection, and they can cross time and cultural boundaries right. to just completely turn the dynamic of you know I mean, work group. Right. <laughs> you know, well, and, and even even when you think about the more traditional work, the whole you know Google Docs phenomenon of being able to co create mm-hmm. has and to do it asynchronously is pretty neat you know that's <laughs> that's a great way to work mm-hmm. uh, it changed the way my school ran right we no longer had meetings we co-created agendas mm-hmm. we met far less often and people came having read everything they needed and having already participated in the creation of the agenda and in the population of each of the, the items on the agenda. Mm-hmm. So when we came together, it wasn't to learn. It was to make decisions. Right. That's cool. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so much better than the traditional way that we have worked collaboratively. And I love that. And I, I will say just uh, the best p- professional development I have ever had as an educator has been through Twitter. Really? Honestly. Best. Uh, I go on Twitter chats. 
I learn from other people all around the country. They learn from me. I get cool ideas. It really impacts what I choose to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think people realize that. Uh, rarely for me would I sit in a two-hour session and come away with two or three really good ideas that I'd then mm-hmm. be able to implement. <coughs> Excuse me. Through Twitter, I can. And then if I have a question, I know who to tweet. Right? I go mm-hmm. to this person and say, hey, you talked about this. Can I learn more from you? Mm-hmm. So I actually have colleagues all around the world that I tweet with about educational issues of importance to me. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's a great opportunity. And the one other area of, of education I think is hugely impact is parent engagement. Ah, yes. I didn't want to t- touch on that. How do we change that? Then? I mean, well, again, you know, coming back from the theme yeah. of the show of being success, right. what represents success? in the teacher-parent-student dynamic? Well, you know, when you think of the traditional way that we work with parents, uh, we typically uh, support parents who are uh, who work all day, mm-hmm. and we want them to come in for a, for a conference at a time where they're not available. Right. right. And some of our families are working two jobs and, you know, have young children at home and all the ways that make it complicated as a parent to get to the school right. for that kind of conversation. Or they can't take a phone call during the day because they work at a job where that's not possible. Uh, again, asynchronous communication through email is hugely helpful. Right. Um, also, just the fact that teachers can put homework online, can you know, videos can go online, you can share information more readily, um, the communication can be in multiple languages more easily. Mm-hmm. There's so many ways that it's more inviting to parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that technology could have the best impact on parent engagement of any tool I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly had an impact when I was working at the school. Okay. Now, we only have about two minutes. Mm-hmm. What about... Uh, Community and university, because uh, I mean, in many communities, that community college is an is a bridge, right. right? In a lot of communities, the university is a mainstay institution of mm-hmm. especially your smaller communities. In in two minutes, well, maybe a minute and a half, how does how does broadband create success in the relationship between? Well, I think those? it does, but I also think that universities. Um, I hope are participating in a big way in supporting the communities because they typically have good broadband access, right? right? And mm-hmm. how can we leverage that to support a community? Um, but I also think it's, again, the opportunity to take a course asynchronously if mm-hmm. you're a parent mm-hmm. and you're working a couple of jobs and you want to get that degree, you can do this on, you know, in the evening or whenever you have the, the opportunity to get online. I hope that more of that occurs. Mm-hmm. I also think it opens doors for kids who traditionally did not see themselves as as potentially being college material. Okay. That opportunity to see that college as more accessible mm-hmm. as opposed to that space over there that I never get to. Right. And it feels a little bit more accessible. I certainly hope that that's the case. Right. Thank you, Deb, for this wonderful interview and great insights. Uh, this is all very helpful. Uh, thank you to our audience uh, for listening in once again to our show. Next week, before the Thanksgiving break, we're going to tackle... Uh, some of these, uh, the issue of some of these state laws that are standing in the way of broadband development. So let's uh, plan to get back together again next week. Have a great rest of this week. Uh, Talk to you soon.